Welcome to the Next Level Human Podcast. As a human, you have a job to do. In fact, you have four jobs. To earn and manage money, to attain and maintain health and fitness, to build and sustain personal relationships, to find meaning and make a difference. None of these jobs are taught in school, and that is what this podcast is designed to do to educate us all on living our most fulfilled lives through the mastery of these four jobs. I'm your host, Dr. Jade Tita, and I believe we are here living this life for three reasons and three reasons only, to learn, to teach, and to love. In this podcast, I will be learning, teaching, and loving right along with you. I'm grateful to have your company. Here's to our next level. What's going on, everybody? Dr. Jade Tita here, and welcome to the Next Level Human Podcast. This episode is actually going to be a replay from a podcast I did with my brother, Dr. Keone Tita, and a good friend of ours, uh, Brian Brosey, who both of them run another podcast called The Well Man's Podcast. And if you haven't checked out that podcast, it's one of my favorite podcasts for natural medicine. They cover a lot of things that other podcasts never touch on. And it is a really useful podcast. One of the ones I listen to on a regular basis, besides just thinking my brother's sort of a genius and him and Brian just really do a tremendous job at exposing different areas that are, I believe, a gap in the current, you know, sort of podcast genres in in terms of what you get um, from the health and fitness podcast, they really, really do a great job of covering uh, conditions and topics that you really won't find anywhere else. And so what I did is I reached out to Brian and basically said, hey, man, um, I'm getting a lot of questions about coffee lately. You know, it's just funny how it goes. Like certain questions come up certain times of the month. I don't know. Maybe we're all sitting at home drinking a lot of coffee right now. And I remember the three of us, me, Keone and Brian, did an episode on coffee for the Well Man's podcast. So I said, um, do you mind if I share that particular podcast rather than me doing it over again? And it's just a, I think, better discussion with uh, the three of us. And so, of course, Brian was like, yeah, absolutely. And so that's what you're going to get today. You're going to get a replay podcast. This is an episode from the Well Man podcast with my brother Keone and Brian. And I hope you uh, enjoy it. And I hope you'll go check out uh, the Well Man podcast. And I will see you at the next episode. Please enjoy. We're talking about coffee today. So, so anyway, Jade is the one who has influenced me with getting me into drinking coffee. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, for you, it might be a bad thing. As well. <laughs> right, right. I, yeah, when I first got introduced to it, I almost killed myself with it, but we'll talk, we'll talk about that in a second. Anyway, welcome, Jade. Um, Brian and I are thrilled to have you on again. We always have a big... People are clicking away on our podcast when we have you on. So thanks again for, for being on. I love you, boys. All right. Well, thank you. Um, I, I guess I guess my first question is, is, all right, so I'm not really sure yet. Is coffee good for you or bad for you? You know, it's a, it's a good question. I'm not entirely sure yet either, although the research is probably leaning pretty heavily that way. Uh, in particular with certain areas like cognitive issues, 
definitely it's starting to look like uh, coffee is really useful for things like Alzheimer's, certainly with diabetes. Um, it looks like coffee is very useful uh, for that as well. Um, so I would say, I don't know, 60, 40, 70, 30, yes, for coffee at this point. And the reason why probably all of us hem and haw on this is because as Keone and Brian know, research is tricky and you have to kind of look at it. It's an emerging process. So we can't always say for sure what is what. And we'll, as we get into this, we'll also see why coffee can be a little bit confusing because think about it. There's different bean types. There's different roasting um, approaches. There's different, different brewing methods. And there's different things we add into our coffee. And then there's different things that we do along with drinking coffee, like coffee and smoking go hand in hand. And so all of these things are difficult to tease out when it comes to coffee. And research has to sort of parse this together. And I think one of the reasons why it's a little bit confusing maybe is because almost all of the research on coffee that says it is good for you or bad for you comes from population studies that just try to go, all right, these people are, you know, smokers and drink coffee or coffee is associated with low liver cancer rates, but maybe those same people are eating better or um, those kinds of things. So there's other um, confounding factors when you look at the population studies like that. And then there's not a whole lot of stuff that says, let's take Keone, Brian and Jade. Let's give you know, Keone, two cups of coffee a day, Jade, four cups of coffee a day, and Brian, no cups of coffee. And let's follow them over a period of time and see how their blood labs change or how they get healthier or unhealthy. And those are the kind of studies that we really need. And there's not a lot of those with coffee. Right. So I was looking at some of the studies and, you know, it does definitely seem to be very good for diabetes. The other thing is, is coffee also is the main uh, source of antioxidants. It seems to be in the American diets packed full of antioxidants. But when I read some of the research, it's saying, well, to, to, to get there for the, to have a decrease in diabetes, um, dementia and stuff. I mean, we're talking about six to 12 cups a day. I mean, that now, now if I did that, I'd be dead. Based yeah, on, yeah. Based, so so that, that's a lot. That's a lot. And I, and I don't know if that's, necessarily a, 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 a good thing. Yeah. And, and typically, go ahead. Yeah. Typically those, those numbers come from standard drip coffee, but you can increase the amount of chlorogenic acid in coffee um, by the way you prep it. So you'll see different things where they're just like, like, for example, in Europe, they drink a lot of espresso. So for them, you know, six shots of espresso for an American is like we, some Americans put that in their first morning cup of coffee or Americano at Starbucks. And so there's a lot of, there's a, that's why it gets tricky with coffee. But to, to your point, it's not one cup of coffee typically. Uh, it's typically the, the lowest number I've seen is like three cups per day showing, starting to show benefits. Um, so that's interesting. But again, that's, that's based on population studies. And of course we can't, we can't negate the fact that you know, for some of us, like me, I just wake up and love coffee and it's part of my morning routine and it makes me happy and it makes me feel like I function better. So as an individual, going doing away with coffee, even if someone probably told me like it's going to, you know, shorten your life by five years, I don't know that I would because I love it so much. So there's many different ways to, to think about this, but we can get into the sort of the different, um, you know, stuff 
in terms of what's in coffee and why and the different prep methods and things like that that might explain some of this confusion. Because it is, it is somewhat confusing when it comes to coffee and amounts and things like that. Right. Well, I, just interesting to me, like if I had to define coffee just based on how my experience with it as a food or as a medicine, I, I think I would tend to define it more as a medicine based on, based on what, it, what it does. Like I, I now enjoy a cup of coffee in the morning. I really can't do more than one cup. Um, helps wake me up, helps energize me. I may have a cup of coffee before I, before I work out. But the one thing that, that kind of scares me or, or worries me about coffee is, uh, you know, and I guess you can clarify this is, is there a big difference between organic and non-organic coffee? And, and does it make a difference if you drink, drink, uh, organic versus non-organic as far as health benefits? Yeah. Um, well, I have, as you know, along with you guys, I have a very strong bias towards anything organic, of course. I mean, that's kind of the world that we live in. And I would say that coffee is one of the most heavily sprayed crops on the planet. You know, so there's an awful lot that goes into that. And I tried to tease this out in looking at the research on this. And it's really interesting because um, a lot of these compounds, a lot of the, the pesticides and things like that are kind of volatile, meaning that they... They, with heat, they kind of dissipate. So a lot of them are sort of dissipated in the roasting uh, process. Uh, they also are usually fat-soluble. And so filtered coffee has a lot less of these things. So I would say absolutely we should try to avoid these you know, chemicals of industry as much as possible. And to do that with coffee, step one would be get organic coffee if possible. Absolutely, I would say that's part of it. You know, number two, um, you know, a good, a good quality roast that's, you know, probably in the medium roast range to dissipate some of these things. And then using filtered coffee versus boiled coffee or French press and things like that will all decrease, you know, the pesticide levels uh, in your coffee. I don't know of any studies, and I'm wondering if either of you do, and I've looked for them. I don't know of any studies that have compared directly organic coffee with inorganic coffee and looked at the health benefits. I do know this, though. All the studies showing benefits of coffee, they're not controlling for it usually. So most of it is probably inorganic coffee, and it's still showing a pretty big benefit. So I think even with coffee and having some pesticides in it, even if you're getting, you know, Dunkin' Donuts or, you know, um, McDonald's coffee, I don't know if they're organic or not, you're still having a lot of the benefits. It's kind of like if you eat broccoli, which is very, very healthy, and it's sprayed with pesticides, that's still a lot better than going and getting an organic cookie, right? And so from that perspective, coffee is, I would say, absolutely, we want to avoid these things. But what we probably know is that you're getting benefit from coffee regardless, if that makes sense. But I'd be interested to hear your sort of opinion on that. But that seems to be um, the consensus. And again, it comes back to the research not really being done in, you know, placebo controlled studies comparing one to the other and just trying to tease it out through population studies. But that would be my take on it, you know? Well, a lot of I, I, this is, we see, we see some negative health consequences, not so much with the population or from what I understand, not so much with the, po the coffee drinking population. I, I think the, the, the barometer is moving towards, you know, the beneficial effects of coffee from what I, from what I understand. But as a agricultural worker working in coffee fields and working in 
you know, where they do a whole lot of spraying, we definitely, definitely see negative health consequences of the spraying of the, these crops in that population. And then some people take that information and then transfer it. Well, you know, we shouldn't be drinking coffee because of that and that. But like you said, there is processing that goes into it. And, you know, um, you know, some of that stuff is, is dissipated. And then some of that stuff, our body, you know, I think can, can handle. I, the other thing is, is, I mean, how many people all over the world drink coffee? So if coffee was a big, big issue, wouldn't we start seeing problems like we do with cigarette smoking with, with coffee? You know, that, that's, that's my thing. I mean, I think we have still a lot more study to do, but I, I just, as many people that drink it all over the world and as many people that drink non-organic coffee, uh, is it, are we blowing it out of proportion to saying that it's a, it's a really big source of, you know, herbicides, pesticides and that type of thing? Yeah, I think we, I think we might be. And I think that, um, you know, you're still, like you said, you're still getting the benefits. And I think it also is just sort of knowing if my understanding is correct, organochlorines, organophosphates, these are the ones that they are essentially spraying on these crops, the big ones. These are the ones that are sort of relatively volatile and will, you know, basically bleed off essentially when you heat them up. And then also just knowing the symptoms of those. Like, for example, I know for a while there before I diagnosed myself with uh, thyroid issues, I was having twitches and cramping all the time and all this kind of stuff. And I was going around looking at different things that could be the cause of this. And organophosphate pesticides were one of the big things that I saw was an issue. And I was like, I'm wondering if it's from the coffee that I'm, you know, drinking at that time. And so, yeah, you know, it's very simple, I think, for us to figure this out because those listening to this will probably just say, okay, I hate when we get in discussions about maybe, maybe not, this and that. And that's when I think it comes to really being a detective with your coffee use. Like, obviously, if you're drinking a lot of coffee and then a couple hours later, you're getting eye twitches and increased cramps and, you know, digestive upsets and things like that, try cutting the coffee out and seeing if you don't get those symptoms. And that may tell you something better and different than just saying, oh, all coffee's bad if it has pesticides in it. And this is, I think, the approach that we want to use with anything, including coffee. We say, well, what's the research? So that's when you talk to people like us three. And then you have to say, what is the research on myself as an individual? Uh, one funny story I'll tell is, you know, between Keone and me, one of the things with coffee is, uh, we've always known when we were young and I started drinking a lot of coffee, Keone would have coffee and like have anxiety attacks. Like he would be like, what is going on? I'm feeling like jacked up. I can have a cup of coffee and go right to sleep. And so we all detoxify um, caffeine and different compounds in coffee differently. Keone happens to be a slow oxidizer of caffeine. I'm a fast oxidizer of caffeine. The same holds true for how we process some other compounds, including pesticides and things like that in our body. And so we have to kind of become metabolic detectives around everything, including coffee. But I agree with uh, you, and I think you're saying this, Keone, to me, I'm like, anything you can do to stop exposure to these compounds do it. And it's pretty simple with coffee. Organic coffee is very easy. Coffee is one of these things that it doesn't necessarily need to be sprayed. They do that a lot because it increases yield, but it's also pretty easy to grow coffee organically. And it's been done, you know, throughout human history. So why not choose organics and then also understand a light roast may have a little bit more pesticides than a dark roast and filtering your coffee can make a difference as well. And so when I think when it comes to that, that's important. One other thing I'll say here is coffee 
also is a detoxifier in itself. We know, and I'll see, I, I think the numbers are huge when it comes to liver toxicity. So the rates of liver cancer are something like 200 per every 100,000 individuals in coffee drinkers. Those rates go up to something like 550,000 or 550 per 100,000 in non-coffee drinkers. So again, to Keone's point, we probably wouldn't see that statistically if coffee, regardless of, and they're not controlling for organic or inorganic, that's just coffee's effect, all coffees, on liver uh, health. And we know that liver is the number one place where we detoxify these things. We also know coffee increases phase one detoxification, um, the compounds in coffee. And so... I think with all that said, there's very little to be worried about with pesticides in your coffee, but it's better safe than sorry. And it's pretty easy to do if you have the resources to get organic coffee. Yeah, I, I agree. Like you choose organic if you can. You're probably going to spend a little bit more for your organic cup of coffee. But uh, I, I think that is a more sustainable thing to do for your body and also for the planet and that type of thing. So choosing organic coffee is better. That's, you know, it's one thing that you say a lot. Sorry to interrupt you, but I think it's just important. One of the things that Keone says a lot that I've gotten from him, and I just think this is a huge point that we don't say enough, is Keone will always say, well, it doesn't matter. Like, let's say that there's no, there's no real benefit for our physical health with removing pesticides and stuff like that. But we know it's impacting uh, the environment negatively. So even if it's not a big issue for our own health, you know, and Keone, Keone studied environmental engineering, has this master's degree in that. And one of the things that he'll, he'll say, which I really have started saying this as well is, look, it's not just about our health choosing organic. It's about the health of the planet as well. You know, for example, I think you told me that, you know, frogs and amphibians, which are, you know, a very important part of a lot of ecosystems are very negatively impacted by these compounds. And so I just think it's useful to point out when you're choosing coffee, all right, you know, choose it from the perspective of your own personal health, but also if we're going to be quote next level humans, you know, and, you know, sort of look after not just ourselves, but our community as a whole, then we also want to make that secondary choice about is this good for the environment or not? So I just, I just think that's an important point. Yeah, I agree. And it's like what we were going to before. I mean, think about the impact of those agricultural workers who are actually picking the coffee too you know, or people that are out in the fields picking these heavily sprayed crops, you choose organic, it's going to be less likely that they're going to be had that much exposure because the, the market is going to move towards more sustainable ways of, of, of farming. Yeah. So fair you, trade as well. Right. You know, yeah, fair, fair wage right. For their coffee picking. Right. Right. So Jay, you mentioned, um, um, different roasting methods. What does that mean in terms of the coffee as far as compounds as uh, you mentioned a little bit about, any of this, the pesticides or fungicides, what, what are the different roast methods, methods mean? Well, typically it's just about how high the heat goes and how long the bean is uh, sitting uh, in the uh, roaster. And so the, the big ones for the late person are, you know, typically if you go to like a Starbucks, you're like, there's a light roast, there's a medium roast. And there's a dark roast. And what is really interesting about this, and this I found the most fascinating area, and I'm still getting very deep into this, is that this dramatically impacts um, what happens uh, with the coffee. Um, and so chlorogenic acid, which is the big, other than caffeine, it's the one, the, the number one sort of compound in coffee that we think is having all these benefits, especially for the liver and diabetes. 
This compound, for example, under roasting, light roast, short roasting periods is uh, in higher concentration. As you roast more, something like 90% of that chlorogenic acid is degraded. So light roasts have a lot of chlorogenic acid in them, right? More the green coffee bean. Dark roasts have much less chlorogenic acid in them. However, this I found fascinating, and this may be something you can educate us on, Keone, because I don't really understand necessarily how this happens. Chlorogenic acid is one of thousands and thousands of compounds in coffee, antioxidants in, co in coffee. And so what appears to happen is as the roasting process goes on, either longer roasts and higher temperatures, and more antioxidants are formed in this process. Some antioxidants are increased, some are decreased. So chlorogenic acid may be decreased, but others are actually increased in the roasting process. And there seems to be this sort of bell-shaped curve that happens with compounds. So yeah, you're getting less chlorogenic acid, but you're getting less of, you know, um, you're getting more of other compounds that are potentially beneficial in coffee. And with coffee, we're finding out all the time, oh, look at this new compound in coffee that's probably having beneficial effects. That's happening all the time. And so, you know, there's this sort of bell-shaped curve. Antioxidant levels in coffee, total antioxidant levels in coffee seem to be greater the more you roast up to a point. So not necessarily dark roast, but sort of in that medium range. It also is really interesting because we can maintain a lot of chlorogenic acid if we go very high roast for very short periods of time. So it seems like maybe the timing that how long this, these beans are sitting in the oven essentially has a lot to do with chlorogenic acid. And so you want to be aware of this. What I've come away with so far, which may or may not be correct, I mean, I'm looking at this and you know trying to see, but what it looks like is happening is that you want a wide diversity of antioxidants. You definitely want as much chlorogenic acid as you can get in this coffee. Caffeine seems to be pretty stable. As a matter of fact, the longer you roast, the more caffeine goes up. So chlorogenic acid goes down by 90% in a dark roast, but caffeine goes up by 30% in a dark roast. So oh, wow. if you're someone that wants more caffeine and you're getting ready to go to the workout, you want a big pump and you want to go dark roast. If you're someone who's wanting, you know, sort of diabetes help and you're doing it for the diabetic, you know, sort of blood sugar regulation properties of coffee, you probably want a lighter roast. But if you want sort of the best of all worlds, we're probably talking about a medium roast. And so that's where I, that's where right now I am. And not only that, the grind also determines a lot you know how you know people who love coffee you know they'll do a fine grind or a, you know a sort of coarse grind that also affects it and it looks like a medium grind medium roast is probably the best and that's that's sort of a nice rule of thumb right it's always nice when we can get rules of thumb like that a medium grind medium roast seems to give you the best of all worlds enough caffeine not too much enough chlorogenic acid not too much and a wide diversity of all these antioxidants so next time you go to starbucks you know, you might want to just say, I'll go with the medium roast rather than my normal blonde or my normal, you know, sort of dark roast. And I think that's mm -hmm. sort of a good rule of thumb to uh, understand. A couple other things with roasting is molds are normally killed in roasting. The other thing is if you're someone who's worried about, um, well, and here's the interesting thing about that that I found interesting because a lot of people will say, you know, with bulletproof coffee is very popular. So a lot of people will say, you know what, um, you can taste the mold in coffee. It has this sort of astringent uh, sort of taste in, in coffee. 
And that's because the molds will change the coffee compounds a little bit. And so you will still taste some of the effects of mold being there, but uh, the mold is dead um, because of the heating process. And by the way, mold and coffee, I found this interesting. They looked at all these different foods and they were like, mold in coffee is a very small amount of mold in coffee. As a matter of fact, chili has more mold in it than coffee. Breads have more mold in them typically when we're eating them than coffee does. So this is kind of not really uh, a concern, but you can see how the roasting method sort of impacts this. One other thing on roasting is um, when you decaf beans, you use methane, right? Uh, uh, you know, a methyl compound um, and a methanol compound rather. And that compound scares people because you don't, definitely don't want to be putting that in your body. Now, what's interesting about that is that in the roasting process, that is completely gone basically after they look at it because it's a very volatile compound. So it essentially goes away almost completely. Now, whether that's changing certain structures of the bean or creating certain compounds in the process, we don't necessarily know. That's why I would say go Swiss water, you know, water decaf or CO2 is even better um, decaf. Um, but this also sort of impacts things. And so roasting is, you know, sort of a bear, probably one of the most important aspects of, you know, um, what you want to be thinking about when you're choosing the right coffees. Uh, we can get into actually a couple rules of thumb and you just tell me to shut up if I start going off. But I think this will be useful. This will be useful for people who, um, who want to know, well, is my coffee good or not? Like chlorogenic acid, you, you can taste uh, in coffee and it tends to be pretty astringent and pretty acidic. So astringency means it dries your mouth almost like a lemon peel, right? That means it has a lot of uh, chlorogenic acid and sour uh, means it has a lot of chloric acid. So if you taste a very sour, very drying coffee, which is typically the lighter roast, like Keone and I have a coffee shop in our hometown, Winston-Salem. I cannot stand the coffee, but a lot of people love the coffee. And now I understand that that's because it's one of these very astringent, citrusy coffees. It probably has a lot of chlorogenic acid in that particular coffee bean. So you can taste these things, whereas when you roast a little bit longer, the, the acidity and the astringency go down a little bit, and then it starts tasting a little bit more full-bodied. So it might be like the difference between a wine that has a very strong bite, like a Chianti, versus a wine that has a very full body, like a Cabernet. You know, so the ones that have the bite are the ones that probably have more chlorogenic acid. The ones that are more like a Cabernet and more smooth probably have more caffeine and, you know... Uh, Caffeine's kind of bitter too. So the more bitter and smooth it gets, the more caffeine, the less chlorogenic acid, the more of the bite, the and astringency drying, the more the more chlorogenic acid. If that if that's helpful. Yeah, that's great. I you you talk about going to Starbucks and um, how are you drinking your coffee? Are you drinking it black? Are you adding milk? Are you adding sugar? Are you getting benefit if you add all that other stuff in there? Some of those coffees at Starbucks are like a thousand calories per cup too. So what does that affect anything? Yeah, that's, I love that research. And I think you and I were just talking about this recently. Um, one of the things that we knew a while back with tea was that if you put milk in tea, you know, tea has a lot of antioxidants in it. You know, coffee comes first, then cocoa, then green tea, then black tea, then herbal tea, but still tea has a lot of antioxidants in it and has health benefits as a result. And they basically were like, what happens is the health benefits when you drink tea English style and put milk into the tea? It's almost completely negated. 
Well, the same thing begins to happen, especially with chlorogenic acid and adding milk to coffee. And so something about adding proteins to coffee causes this effect. It's, uh, it's interesting. I remember when Kelly and I were in, bio, well, we weren't in biochemistry together, but you'll remember this, Kelly. Remember when they were teaching us about proteins and biochemistry? That was one of my favorite things. They basically showed that these proteins line up in sort of like um, lines of different amino acids. And then based on the charges of these amino acids, these proteins fold and create almost like a, a catcher's mitt in some cases that basically are perfectly fit for certain proteins. Right. Well, it turns out that casein, the, the protein, one of the proteins in milk, is a catcher's mitt for chlorogenic acid and other antioxidants. And when it grabs hold of those antioxidants, they essentially sort of pass through and are not really available for you to absorb in the way that you would normally. And so if you really want benefit from coffee, you're probably going to want to do it black. But then I went and looked and looked and say, well, does this happen with other proteins? Like, what if you put soy milk in it? What if you put coconut milk in it? What if you put those kinds of things in it? What if you do more half and half instead of um, casein and have less of these proteins? And soy milk and coconut milk have, don't have this effect at all. So it seems to be 100% dairy proteins that are doing this. And so... Yeah, switch to almond milk, switch to coconut milk. You know, I wouldn't, I, I personally wouldn't suggest going soy just because I have a, a bias against soy, but for some, it can be really um, good. But uh, I think that's an important component to sort of look at for sure. Adding sugar, obviously, is going to negate some of the beneficial effects on blood sugar, uh, for sure. And certainly these 500 calorie desserts, which really they are at Starbucks, I wouldn't even call those coffee. They're, those are coffee, even though I have brewed coffee in them, those are coffee flavored drinks. It's kind of like saying, well, yeah, chocolate has health benefits, but how much of a health benefit are you getting from a couple sprinkles of chocolate chips in a cookie? I don't know that you are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so similar to all that, what about adding a fat to your coffee? Like the butter, yeah. like you talked about bulletproof coffee or yeah. MCT oil or any of those. Yeah. Well, here's an interesting thing, right? So if we're, in, if we're concerned about pesticides, for sure, most of these pesticides are fat soluble. Okay. So most of them, you're going to get more of them and absorb more of them because they'll hit your ride on the fat in a very similar way that, you know, um, something like chlorogenic acid will be bound up by, you know, um, casein. It's very similar to also say, hey, fat uh, and pesticides and things like that hitch rides, hitch, will hitch a ride on fat. And so if that's a big concern and you're someone mostly concerned about detoxing, bulletproof coffee may not necessarily be the thing that you would want um, to do in that case. Now, if you have organic coffee, maybe it doesn't matter. Um, fat seems not to necessarily be an issue, but it will increase the absorptions of certain compounds. Um, and we don't, I don't necessarily know the benefit or risk of that yet. And I can't really tell you whether that's interrupting chlorogenic acid or not, but based on the fact that soy milk and coconut milk and almond milk don't really, um, have anything to do with this or interfere or chlorogenic with chlorogenic acid that is probably um fine here's one thing we do know as well most of these compounds that are in coffee almost all of them actually are water soluble we know that because we percolate water through coffee to get these compounds out 
And, um, but there are things in coffee like tocopherol, vitamin E, and other fat-soluble compounds that are going to be enhanced in their absorption with um, adding fat into it. Also, we do know this, adding fat to coffee will slow the absorption of pretty much all, a lot of the compounds in coffee, um, especially caffeine. So here's an example. If you want to, if you, like Keone does now a cup of coffee before his workout, I, I've been doing that for a very long time. It's great, but you, you would not, you want very quick absorption of that caffeine. So you would not want to put fat in that or protein really. You want it in your system quickly. So black coffee before workout. However, if all three of us are sitting down and we're going to write a research paper or do research on coffee and want our brains to be working, maybe having fat in that coffee really smooths out the caffeine rush. Instead of getting this big spike, we get more of this sort of flat line thing. And so from that perspective, you can kind of make a decision whether you want to add uh, you know, fat to your coffee or not. From my perspective, if you're after weight loss, it depends, right? Because if you're if you're just adding one, you know, a tablespoon of butter has a, you know, it's a small, small amount of food, but it's got a lot of calories and that's a hundred, that's a hundred uh, cows in that little pat of butter that can add up really quick. But if it satisfies you, if that's all you do for breakfast and it keeps your hunger and your energy and your cravings stable for a long period of time and allows you to make it through a six hour fast, then it might have benefits. So those are some thoughts. And then also you're going to have to play metabolic detective. Yeah. yeah. Now you mentioned something there about the fast and Keone, we did a podcast, I don't know, a week or two ago about fasting is having the coffee and the butter breaking the fast or is that not considered breaking the fast? Well, I would be interested in Keone's take on this. So I'll go first and then let Keone go. From my perspective, if you look at the research, what they usually show is that once, if you can keep your calories, like probably under 300 calories, you know, 300 calories or so for breakfast, you're probably getting a lot of the benefits of fasting. One of the benefits of fasting is not overloading the mitochondria with a bunch of um, carbon sources, like a bunch of uh, acetyl-CoA coming from sugar and a bunch of acetyl-CoA coming from fat. The mitochondria like to run one of these pathways only, and it likes to do it in, uh, you know, with small amounts. For example, one study I looked at basically showed that the mitochondria function much better with small frequent meals rather than big, huge three meals. So like doing six smaller meals at 300 calories versus doing three bigger meals at 600 calories, the mitochondria do better. And so this is a guess on my part, but a lot of the benefits of fasting can be had um, by potentially adding fat in if it keeps you from binging later. Because when most most people fast, if they go completely cold turkey with no calories, yeah, they might make it at three o'clock and have zero calories. But we now live in a world where you can consume four to 5,000 calories in one sitting and, and many people do. And so I think it's, yes, it's best to have zero calories, but having enough, but not too many calories in something like some branch chain amino acids, like whey protein, uh, which would be a protein source or a fat source can help people. Sorry about that break. Anyway, we were just talking about fat, fat and coffee. And um, Jay just asked me a question about what my thoughts were, were about that and extending, you know, a fast and how it'd be satiated. So a couple things. Um, 
Coffee by itself can be an appetite suppressant. So some people will have for breakfast just a cup of coffee. It wakes them up and they don't feel hungry after that. Um, like Jade was saying, if you add, add some fat into that coffee, you're also adding calories, but that may be able to satiate you longer. So at the end of the day or in the week, you may be able to, um, you know, extend your, extend your fast. Also, we also know that if you are already coming at to the end of a fast that you are probably relative to burning sugar, you're burning a higher percentage of fat producing ketones and that type of thing. So adding fat may extend that, uh, a little bit, a little bit longer. So, um, to break a fast, I will recommend people, uh, to break a fast and get more of the benefit out of the fast. Brian and I were talking about last time to, you know, have like a ketogenic type meal. And for some people that may look like fat in their coffee to, to help extend it a little bit, but really I think coffee by itself can, can, uh, suppress, uh, the appetite. So for the specific program you and Mary kind of designed is if I were to have coffee with butter, um, during my fast, is that me breaking my fast for that program? I, I would consider that breaking the fast okay. because I, I mean, to me, I, I consider a fast anything that's, uh, without calories. So that's why I like, okay. I like, uh, you know, unsweetened drinks, uh, you know, lots of fluid, but they're unsweetened and without any calories. But I do think if you want a, a small meal or something to continue the, the kind of the ketogenic burn or to get more benefit from your fast, maybe adding, adding fat to the coffee uh, can help that and, and as a small meal, a way to break the fast. Yeah, I, liked, I like what Jade said about basically I'm one of those people when I, when I fast, I, you know, the smell of five guys starts like making me wheezy and I'm ready to attack it. So, right. so having a small, you know, whether it be 150, 300 calorie, little bit of coffee will help me prolong that much easier. So when you asked me like on the podcast with Mary, have I fasted? And I could not, I could honestly tell you no with no right. calories, but I've certainly gone longer periods and I haven't had that, that moment where I come back and feast myself. If I'm putting that butter in my coffee and I'm having, having that throughout the morning and I'm making an easy right. till three or four. Yeah. And a lot of the research on fasting too, if you look at when you actually read it, you'll find that it's, it actually has calories in those meals. Most of the, well, not most, but a lot of the research on fasting shows 500 calories or less per day. So it's not that they're with a lot of these studies on fasting, they are giving some calories. So we do know they still have benefits. That's right. And, and the other thing I'd recommend, like somebody who's doing a fast and they're just having a miserable time getting through the fast, that may be a great way to, to help like have some fat in the coffee or whatever, just to help you get through it. I know for me, if I have a small little thing, like a little shot of black coffee, that makes fasting very, very easy for me. Very easy. Mm. It suppresses my, definitely suppresses my appetite. The other thing that's related to coffee, um, kind of is, is cocoa powder. Um, cocoa powder actually ha will suppress your appetite too, as long, you know, without the sugar in there. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jade, when we talk about caffeine content, when we compare a cup of coffee to cocoa to tea, coffee definitely has, pretty sure has the most caffeine in it. Probably what, about 200 milligrams per, per cup? And then, yeah, 200, 300 milligrams per, like, you know, and uh, that's another thing, drip coffee, depending on how long the water's in contact with the beans determines the caffeine concentration. So boiled coffee has more caffeine than, um, you know, a mocha pot. I don't know if you guys know the mocha pots, you know, those pots that they percolate, they put water in the bottom, 
put the coffee on top, heat it up, and it percolates through. That means the water's in, in, uh, in connection with the bean longer. French press, long time of the bean in the water versus something like espresso, which is fast-moving water pushed through the beans, has a little less caffeine. But, you know, typically between 200 and 300 milligrams of caffeine in sort of your standard drip cup of coffee. And a fil filters don't seem to mess with that at all. But if you want a higher kick, then you're going to do a big pot of boiled coffee or French press will have, you know, sort of be on the upper range of that. Lower range of that will be um, espresso and things like that. Right. And then tea, like black tea, green tea, I think has uh, at least half that amount of caffeine. And then cocoa has like half of that. So I think cocoa has less caffeine than, than tea and then coffee, coffee has the most, but with the, with now I've, I've been drinking coffee on a, on a regular basis now for about two, two to three years. Now, when I first started drinking coffee, one cup, though we're talking about 200 milligrams of coffee that gave me heart palpitations. Um, it also narrowed my vision at some and, and re frankly just scared the heck out of me because I felt like I was having a panic attack from it. Um, now I can do one cup a day and I'm fine. So it seems like your body can't, can't acclimate to that, especially when I eat it with food. But I bring that up because there are people out there um, and this has happened in the bodybuilding world where getting too much caffeine can be very, very problematic, especially if you're using it with other substances. Um, um, so the caffeine toxicity is a real issue. Um, and, and in, in, you know, you can, you can just Google it. You can see that people have died from caffeine toxicity. And at the time I wasn't sure what was, what was going on. And now I know, and I've had, had a few patients who also had that problem and no metabolizers of, of caffeine. So, and in a society where coffee is like, you know, you know, you can drink it, get as much as you want. It tends to be very cheap. I think for some people it can't, you know, I, again, it's like a drug. It can be very, very uh, dangerous if you're not careful careful with it. So, but overall, I think a, a, a great, a great health, health benefit overall. Anything else we should talk about, about coffee? We hit everything. I guess, I guess, you know what, Jade, actually, I wonder if you have any, and Brian about this. So, so as far as the coffee, I mean, you know, there's such thing as the coffee uh, cherry. Like, so there's a fruit around the actual bean and whatever. So what, what happens to that? Is that just trash? Can you consume that? Do you know anything about that? Is that food? I have no idea, man. That's something that we definitely should, I, I should look into, but you're right. It is, you know, it's essentially the bean. So I mean, it's, there's a, I don't know yeah. if you can consume coffee. It's called, a, it's called a coffee cherry. So a lot of that pulp is like, take, it's just taken off to get to the bean. Um, I guess the seed in the middle there, you, you remove that pulp. I'm just curious what, what happens with that. I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, I think it can be used as a food. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't think there's a whole lot of caffeine in that, in that fruit, but I, I, at the very least, it probably doesn't taste very good. Cause we would probably all know exactly what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then the other question I guess I have is, is where is coffee native to? Is it mostly uh, central and South America? Is that where it is or where does it come from? Do you know? Pretty much all of, 
my understanding and looking at it's pretty much all around the equator. You know, it's so all around these sort of uh, right where they grow it. But is it is it one of those things where it is native to Central and South America? Do you know? I mean, I don't know for sure. I, I would think it's yeah, like I don't, I don't know the I don't know the answer to that. I do know that um, different types of uh, beans come from different areas, and certainly uh, different types of coffee. The way they dry it and things like that. Because certain certain places have way more rain. Certain places are a little bit more drier. So like Ethiopian beans versus you know some other beans are very different. And there is a difference between robusta beans and arabica beans. And those things are robusta has the most chlorogenic acid in it. But again, chloric acid, chlorogenic acid doesn't taste good to us for the most part. And so they almost always add arabica beans in there as well. And so again, if you're looking at sort of like what's the best way to get the health benefits, they have different compounds in them. And most most people from my understanding combine these two just to make them taste better. But that's also beneficial from the standpoint of um, like you can do a lot of people say just 100% arabica beans they'll that taste decent for people most people don't really like the robusta beans but if you're someone who's like a fanatic and want nothing but chlorogenic acid then robusta beans and i think those come from different different areas as well to your point but i'm not exactly sure um okay. what they are but most coffee on the market is a combination of both because coffee sellers wouldn't sell much coffee if it was just robusta beans because most people don't like those beans. Oh, okay. <laughs> so there's different types of beans that, that, and depending on the area where they're grown, could determine their name and also the content of the antioxidants in them and the chlorogenic acid in it and all that, all that type of thing. Yeah. Um, anything else we should talk about coffee? I mean, that was, that was a lot. For both of you, how, how often are you consuming it? Are you both having a cup a day or? Yeah, I have one cup day? a day. Usually I don't go more than that. What about you, Jay? Yeah, I do two to three per day. Um, of a pretty strong. Uh, and I like, I like dark roast, but I have moved more to medium roast now, but two to three cups per day. Black. So, uh, yeah, just black. I don't put, I don't put anything in it. And that took some time. When I first got introduced to coffee, I started drinking it because like I have a sweet tooth. So if someone gave me a mocha, which basically was a dessert. And I was just like, this thing's amazing. <laughs> now, now and it's I'm healthy gonna, too. Uh, yeah, it's healthy, it's healthy too. too. It's like, you know, it's funny. Coffee sort of like wine and beer, right? I didn't like those. I didn't have an appreciation for those things at first, but now uh, I drink so much coffee. I can really get, I understand, oh, this is, you know, this is more of a light roast. This is more of a dark roast, et cetera, but definitely black for me. I guess uh, that sparked my, sparked another question for me is, um, you know, coffee, coffee seems to have some type of uh, addic addictive tendency. And the, and the reason why I say that is for some people, if they drink a lot of coffee and then stop, they do seem to get some withdrawal, like headaches and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I think if you're, if, if you're, if you feel dependent on coffee, it, it may be a cue to you that maybe you're drinking too much or maybe you can go without. And that's the other thing, like with foods and anything, if you're, if you're dependent on it and always need your cup of coffee to get through your day, maybe, maybe you're, you're getting too, too much in there, but anything about the addictive, addictive tendencies with coffee and anything like that, that you know of with the research in there, it is yeah, addictive, I mean, right? Would they define it as being an addiction? 
it's called, it's said it's mildly addictive with mild, you know, they say mildly addictive with mild withdrawal symptoms. And so if you look in there, there's very little people who are like, you know, get hooked on coffee like they do. Uh, okay. But here's the interesting thing about this. So this actually is a good thing to discuss because it's asked to me quite frequently, and I'm sure to you too, Kelly. So I'm surprised we haven't covered it yet. Coffee is a performance enhancer. It's a brain performance enhancer, you know, um, mostly. And so part of the way it works is it makes the receptors for certain things like adrenaline, you know, more sensitive. And so, you know, your sense of your normal function is here and you start using a lot of caffeine, your function goes here in, in the brain. And then you take that away and it's basically the way the body works is it, it kind of down regulates stuff. So then you go here, right? And so now your performance is worse than it was before you ever started using coffee. So people then go, well, I don't like the way that feels. Usually it takes someone getting sick and being in bed and not having to go to work to kind of get, right. get past that. The other question people ask me a lot is, you know, this whole term, you know, which I don't really like the term, but it's a useful descriptive term, I guess, adrenal fatigue. They're like, is coffee negatively impacting or causing adrenal, you know, adrenal issues and fatigue issues? And I would say that, no, it's not doing that. And I would be, but I want to see what uh, Keone's take is on this. It's more that what happens is when you get tired and need to rest, your body has natural biofeedback sensations that essentially say, all right, guys, it's time to take a breather, relax, go take a nap. It's, you need to get more sleep. So it's more that we use it to push ourselves beyond what we need to do and to ignore our own biofeedback sensations that we start getting into trouble with fatigue and chronic fatigue and things like that with coffee. And so I think to Keone's point, like once you start seeing that, that you're using it as a crush to push yourself beyond what you normally would be able to do over a long point of time, that's when you're sort of getting uh, in trouble. And I think one caveat there is adrenal fatigue is really brain fatigue. You know, the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis is really coming from the hypothalamus and a lot of coffee can, you know, basically override the hypothalamus communication to basically say, relax, recover. And so I think that's part of just something that people want to be aware of. Coffee is best used as a performance enhancement aid when it's not used every single day all the time. It's kind of like using it sporadically enough to have a tolerance so you don't get into what Keone said. Like you're, you're going to run a sprint and, you know, you've been using coffee a lot. It's probably not going to have as great an impact as you want. But if you only use it then, you're probably going to get digestive upset and, you know, a bunch of other stuff that happens. So one of the things we used to do when I was, you know, in the bodybuilding world is we'd flip a coin. You know, on one day we'd take caffeine, heads, on the next day, tails, we would take no caffeine. That could keep you sort of in a place where you're sensitive to caffeine, but also used to caffeine. But those are just some things to talk about with performance enhancement and fatigue. Yeah. Yeah, I think when you feel like you, you can't get through your day without coffee, you should start questioning, you know, <laughs> are, you, are you getting too much in there? And, and, and I also think for the, the brain-enhancing effects, right, uh, taking a little break between it. It's like that whole Epicurean philosophy, right? Like, you know, take a little break between it and, um, you know, have it. If you missed it for a couple of days and then have it, man, a cup of coffee tastes, tastes absolutely delicious and, and can set you on fire with, with your productivity, so to speak. At least that's what's in my experience. I just had a patient the other day who, who does 12 cups of coffee a day, you know? So, 
what, what do I say to this person? Okay, well, you may, it may, and it's black, maybe you're getting some benefit for uh, reducing your risk of, of diabetes, but then they are also chronically tired and not able to sleep. So is coffee playing a role in that? It's, it's all, you have to really individualize and see. So like I said, at the beginning, I, I see coffee as not so much as a food. I see it more as a, as a, as a medicine. And with a, as with a medicine, sometimes too much, it can be so-called toxic to you. And then, you know, you want to find that, that right amount that for you, for you. So. Yeah. And sleep, sleep is another issue that we should just touch on briefly before we close. I mean, like, obviously if you're a slow oxidizer of caffeine, a lot of people don't realize you can have caffeine in the morning and you burn through that caffeine so slowly it's interrupting sleep at night. So right. for someone like me, who's a fast oxidizer and Keone and I have done this testing. We are brothers, but genetically we're different. Keone's actually a slow oxidizer of caffeine and I'm a fast oxidizer right. of caffeine. So we've done this test. You can get this test online, by the way, if you want to know. So Keone having coffee in the morning could potentially interrupt his sleep at night and, and he may be better off adding fat to his coffee to smooth that sort of caffeine out a little bit so he doesn't get this huge sort of spike and then this slow fall off and makes it more balanced. For me, I can have coffee right before I go to bed and it doesn't seem to bother me. And you don't need to get the genetic test to understand this. Just know if you're having sleep issues and you're a heavy coffee user, uh, you may be a slow oxidizer and you're going to have to find some other way to, uh, you know, have health benefits. There's a, there's a lot of other things with lots of antioxidants in them that don't have caffeine that you can potentially use or have less caffeine. Like cocoa is one Keone taught me about that, you know, um, I use for a, a while by itself and it has a lot of the beneficial effects that coffee has in terms, I actually think better brain effects, coffee for me, or cocoa for me shuts down cravings. But yeah. anyway, that's, that's sort of a whole other conversation right and last thing i mean i i guess you know, i keep getting my brain sparked here with with other things i want to touch on this is um i find coffee a great great uh it's one of those bitter compounds especially if you drink it black you hear many people they have their cup of coffee in the morning it gets their bowels moving you know so and i and i think that's great and our society we tend to be constipated sometimes those bitter compounds in coffee can really get the gut going maybe that in it in it's by itself is why it's it kind of detoxifies and and has that positive impact on the liver because it definitely gets peristalsis going for for some people so having a cup of coffee to get your bowels going is probably probably a good a really good thing and it's those bitter compounds that do it right yeah. And I think, you know, to that, to that point on GI health, you know, my understanding of coffee is uh, the compound that it releases is GLP-1 and, and it also stimulates the gallbladder. So those bile salts, GLP-1 helps balance blood sugar. Those bile salts help to make a, a good, healthy, um, you know, bacterial population in the gut. And to Keone's point, you also get increased motility and peristalsis to eliminate. So, uh, yeah, it's funny how we, if, as we keep talking, right, you're like, oh, yeah, coffee does this, too. It does a lot. I mean, it's a great, great health. I think one of its the healthiest aspects of coffee is the positive effects on GI and liver health, health for sure. Right. If it's, if it's black and it's not, you know, loaded now with a ton of dairy food and um, you know, a ton of dairy compounds and sugar, right. which will have the opposite effects with the liver and the gut. Right.
And that's, that's why I call before. them cappuccino, you know, those frappuccinos at uh, Starbucks. I call them frappuccinos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for some, <laughs> put a bunch of those in. You're not, you're, it's not going to be a gentle effect. It could be <laughs> yeah, sweet with some mouth to tall, too. You'll, you'll, exactly. exciting, you'll be spending the rest of the day on the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, you know, my, I'm like, I'm with you, Jade and, and Brian. I mean, the coffee, uh, we do know uh, from studies that coffee is probably the greatest source of antioxidants in the, at least the American diet. So in that respect alone, it, I consider it more of a health benefit, but it can be overdone. By the way, as a final thing, do you guys know which country drinks the most coffee? But you know, is it? Do you think it's the United States, or do you have another coffee? You have another country that you would you would guess who drinks the most coffee? Uh, I would say somewhere in Europe. It'd have to be somewhere in Europe. <laughs> I mean, they drink coffee. Seems like they drink coffee all day, every day. I'd say Italy. Not what? What is it? It's it's Norway. Uh, oh, from Norway. one study I looked at, so the Norwegians drink a hell out of some coffee. <laughs> okay, the United States is is number two. 